I just want to share a few things that um, are kind of burning inside of me, if I'm honest, and I hope I get them out in the way um, that it, I mean it to. Um, we've been preaching and teaching, well, I have been, all the time I've been preaching and teaching that God is good, that he is faithful, that he is to be trusted, that he is both love and mighty, uh, that he is mighty to save and that in his love and in his mercy, he wants to save. He wants to meet with us. He wants to redeem us. He wants to rescue us and that we can trust in both his power and his goodness. And I believe that with all my heart. I know that is true. At the same time, often we find ourselves in situations we all do at different times. Sometimes we find ourselves in situations, not often, sometimes, where our prayers aren't answered in the way that we know that they should be, where things go wrong and there doesn't seem to us to be any redeeming feature. When life gets tough, when things happen to us that, that are inexplicable and that don't seem to tie in with God's power and his faithfulness. And my question that I want to try and answer is, what do we do in those times? What is our understanding in those times and therefore our response? Now, there are two responses that I see Christians making a lot. The first one is what I might call the ultra-charismatic response. And that is... Uh, no, I'm not going to believe the facts on the ground. I'm going to believe superior facts. Uh, I'm going to declare um, that I am prospering even though I can't pay the bills. I'm going to declare uh, that I am healed even though uh, I, I can't get out of bed. I am going to declare uh, that, that life is good even though this has gone wrong. And I understand where that comes from. Uh, but I want to suggest that that is actually sometimes often living in unreality. Uh, God doesn't want us uh, to lie. He doesn't want us to, to pretend that something isn't happening. That's not in the scripture. That's not in the scripture. Bad things sometimes happen to good people. Um, and actually bad things only ever happen to one good person and his name is Jesus. Um, bad things happen to the rest of us as well. But, but do you know, it, reacting like that leads at some stage to disillusionment. And, and I know that because I've met people who have, who have chosen to, it's not about not believing in God, it's about believing in something that, that is a fantasy. Uh, and because we can't trust God in the reality and they end up after a while absolutely devastated and disillusioned when their, their attempts to believe what isn't there doesn't happen. That's one response that I don't think works long term. The other response, and this one I've met countless of times in our culture amongst Christians, and it's this. God didn't do that for me. God didn't come through for me. Um, he didn't answer my prayer and it, he should have done. I can't believe, I can't believe in a God that allows this to happen. I won't believe, I won't trust in a God that, that lets this happen. 
Uh, and, and sometimes the truth is we, we pray for stuff that we know is in God's will. You know, God wants everyone to be saved, Peter tells us. And so we pray for our, our, a family member, a parent maybe, to come to know Jesus before they die. And they die seemingly not knowing Jesus. Um, uh, we pray for healing. And we know that Jesus says that, that he wants to bring wholeness. He wants to bring shalom, which is more than, than the word peace in the English gives us an impression of. It, 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 it's about health and wholeness in every way. He is, he is our healer. And yet people sometimes don't get healed. And we've had the experience in our church, people we love and we've prayed for again and again and again who have died. And all of that stuff, you know, there's things that go wrong. And the response sometimes in those times is, I'm not going to believe in a God like that. Or I can't trust in a God like that. Or I'm left bitter and disappointed with the way things have gone. And that also is not a helpful response. And, and that response, I completely understand. I completely understand when we're in pain, when we're disappointed, when, when life is really tough for any length, when things happen that we cannot understand, why we would respond like that. But I want to say, knowing that very gently, that that is also an immature response. What is, what is a correct response, if you like? Correct isn't quite the right word, but what is a response that makes sense? And I want to su suggest uh, that if we look at the story of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, uh, we would find a response that, that actually is biblical and is true and speaks of faith, but also is true to the circumstances. In Daniel chapter 3, we find um, his friends Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they're exiles um, in Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar um, builds a statue and he says, you're all to bow down. They say, we're not going to bow down to the statue. He gets very angry. And King Neb uh, clearly had a bad temper. He gets very angry and he says, either you bow down to the statue or I'm going to throw you into the furnace. Listen to this. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to King, replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us. Your, um, sorry, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Now, I actually love, this is a little bit extra, the King Neb's response. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual. Now, King Neb, I just need to say this, he's one of those characters, he was ruled by his emotions, not by his head. And um, it's like if you're, um, um, you know, like a fiery furnace is full of fire. If you're thrown into a fiery furnace full of fire, even if it's cool fire, 
you die. And King Neb is so angry, he says, I don't want them to die with cool fire. Let's heat it up seven times hotter. So it's really, really hot. It's like fire's fire, King Neb. But anyway, that's a little digression that I find quite amusing. But what I love is their response. Um, they say, um, the God we serve, he is able to deliver us from the furnace. He is able and he will deliver us. We trust him. But here's this, even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow the knee. Even if he doesn't, we're still going to trust him. And that, my friends, is what separates the spiritual men from the boys and the spiritual women from the girls. Even if he doesn't deliver us, we will not bow the knee. We will trust him. And throughout the scripture, we see, we see God's people um, trusting him in the toughest times. Now, I believe that God answers prayer with all my heart. I believe that he does deliver us and he wants to. But sometimes we don't understand what's going on in the moment. And then King Neb throws them, he has them thrown into the fiery furnace. Now, if they're human at all, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, at that point, as they're just being thrown in, they must have thought, oh, this hasn't worked out as we had hoped. We think we're going to see our God very, very soon. But they still went in. They didn't shout at the last session, last section, changed our minds at the last minute. They went in. And in the fiery furnace, King Neb looks and he says, wait a minute, there was three of them were thrown in there. There's a fourth who looks like a son of God. There's a fourth in there. And they're together. And that, my friends, is the beauty of God's dealings with us. Sometimes we're in the fiery furnace and we're not delivered at that point. But do you know, in those times, we find he is there. When he doesn't deliver us from the suffering, he joins us in the suffering. And that is the greatest comfort you could possibly, possibly have. And so often we miss the beauty of that by either pretending that the suffering isn't there or by in the suffering turning away from him and saying, I'm not going to go with you anymore because you let this happen. He was there with them in the midst of their pain. And then the other thing that King Neb says, which I find fascinating, is we bound them. There were three of them thrown in bound, but there's four of them and they're not bound, they're free. Sometimes, my friends, in the place of suffering, he frees us, he sets us free. The things that bind us are taken away, are healed. And I don't understand fully why he does that in the place of suffering. I just absolutely know he does. One possible explanation is that, is that actually when we're in the place of pain and suffering, in the place of utter weakness, that is when we depend on him the most because we've got nothing else. We've, we can't depend on us. All our props are taken away. And he meets with us in that place. 
And so often we think, well, I'll get, I get set free in, 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 in the fertile land, in the good place, when everything's going well. Yes, yes, often he, he unbinds us there, but so often as well, he comes and he meets us and he stands with us and he walks with us in the place of pain and the place of pain becomes the place of redemption. The place of, of, of the prison becomes the place of freedom. And then we come out of that place transformed. Paul in 2 Corinthians, uh, he says that there was a, a, a thorn in his flesh, a messenger of Satan that came to torment him. He says, three times I asked the Lord to take it away from me. And three times the Lord said no. And he said, no, no. Um, uh, uh, my, when you are weak, then you are strong. My power is made perfect in your weakness. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And do you know, so often in the place of our strength, we don't recognize his power in our lives because we don't trust in his power because we trust in our strength. When we're weak, then we are strong. That's the message of the scripture. And it's the truth. I've, I've seen it in my life and in the life of my friends. And so in that place. And, and for Joseph uh, in, in Genesis, you know, God was with Joseph all the way through his life. From when he had dreams as a 17-year-old to when he became, as it were, prime minister of all Egypt. But then in, in all that time in his life, there are only two times where we're told in Genesis, in the scripture, that God was with Joseph and he prospered. The first time was when Joseph was a slave um, in the Egyptian's household, when he was, as a young man, away from his country, sold as a slave in Potiphar's house. And the second time was when he was in prison twice in his 13 years of agony where where Joseph had had the promises as a young man and and he hadn't seen the fulfillment in fact ever since he had the promises the dreams everything went wrong it says God was with Joseph in his, the two darkest places in his life when he was a slave and when he was in prison and God transformed everything. And afterwards, when Joseph was released from prison and, and the blessings came, his second son was born. And we're told he named his second son Ephraim. For he said, the Lord has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. What a, what a name. Fruitfulness in the land of suffering. There's a fruitfulness that comes in that place that doesn't come anywhere else. It's a fruitfulness that comes from pruning. John chapter 15. He, he prunes the vine that it might be more fruitful. Pruning sometimes hurts. And we, don't, we need to have an eternal perspective because it's only when we have an eternal perspective we can trust in the pain of the moment. Job's story is incredible. Um, he, he, had, he had everything and it was taken away from him. His family, his kids, his wealth, his prosperity, his health, 
everything. And in Job, I think it's chapter 13, verse 15, he says an amazing thing. He says, even though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. Yet will I trust him. Even if he kills me, I'll still trust him. Now that is faith. That is hope. That is trust. And the truth is, God loves, God loves to see faith in his people. And our salvation is all of God. It's all of grace. You know, he loves us even when we are faithless, it says in the scripture. He remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. And that's the truth. But, but it's in the crucible of the furnace that he refines us, but also that we find, we find the gift of faith deep within us. It, it's easy to trust when everything's going well. What separates the spiritual men from the boys and the spiritual women from the girls is to trust when it's agony, is to trust when we can't see it, is to trust when we don't understand. And so for, for Job, he makes that amazing statement, that amazing, even though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. Because you see, he had an eternal perspective. I'm going to, because in the verses following, he's talking about when he sees him face to face. We won't understand everything. If God, if everything God did, we understood straight away, we would be on the same level as God, intellectually and morally. I've got news for us. We're not. We're not. So when we don't understand, that, my friends, is the place of faith. And um, Paul talks about it. Um, in, in Romans 8, you know, he says, uh, no, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am convinced, he says, I am convinced even death can't separate me from the love of God. That, my friends, is an eternal perspective. Oh, wow. And you know, of the 12 apostles, if you take out Judas who killed himself, of the other 11, 10 of them were martyred. You see, for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they ended up being rescued from the furnace. They came out of the furnace and suddenly they were popular again. God was, and God does that. He did that with Joseph. He rescued him after 13 years of suffering. Joseph was the means of Israel's salvation. A picture of Jesus. But sometimes it doesn't, this side of heaven, work out like that. Paul... Paul was martyred, but he was convinced that even death couldn't separate him. And I just want to say, as I come in to land on this, you, you know, even though, even though it's all of God, it's all of grace, he leaves room for us to respond. 
because he wants to partner with us, not because he can't do it without us, but because he wants, he wants us to grow. That's why prayer. What, what, what does God need us to pray for him to work? No, he doesn't. But he chooses it that way. He chooses it because he wants us to be not only his, those he loves, but to do it with him like any father with his kids. I don't want to do everything for you. I want you to do it with me. And yes, when we wash the car, sometimes it takes longer than if I did it myself on my own, but I still rather you did it with me because I want you to grow. And that's what faith is. If we read in the Gospels that Jesus loved faith, he, was, he, lo he responded to faith. I've not seen faith like this in all of Israel, he says at one point. And there was one time when he went to his hometown, to his own town where everyone knew him. Um, and because familiarity in the wrong way, they didn't understand who he was, even though they thought they knew him, there was no faith. And it says in the scripture, Jesus could do no miracles and few healings because of their unbelief. Because of their unbelief. He says at other places, your faith has made you well. Now, now what is that? That's faith in our pain, faith in our illness, faith in our brokenness. And he responds to that. It's spiritual warfare. Trusting him, even though he slay me, yet will I put my hope in him. That is spiritual warfare. That releases, it actually releases the power of heaven. It opens a window in heaven for blessing to descend upon us. That's the sort of faith that changes everything. And for me, I need to say, as I finished, as I look back on my life, and when you get to my age, you start looking back on your life. It is the, the times of greatest stress, of greatest disappointment, of greatest frustration and pain and suffering in my life that I can say now, I can say now, looking back, he was with me. He was there. Years ago, I was, I was in a small Baptist church. And in many ways, it was a lovely church, but there were issues. And I, there was issues in that church. And I'm a loyal person. I stick at things. That's why I've been a sole survivor for 29 years that it's been going. I, 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 I stay. My, my, my inclination is I'm by nature a loyalist. So I was never going to leave that church. But then stuff went horribly wrong. It became incredibly painful. It was so hard for me. And it was so hard that I was like, I can't stay here anymore. And I ended up at St. Andrew's Chorley Wood. And St. Andrew's Chorley Wood uh, became my place of blessing. The Lord made me fruitful out of the land of my suffering. And when I went to St. Andrew's, everything began, everything that I longed for. We started the church here. Uh, we started the festivals. We, I saw God do everything. And it was as if God had to allow incredible pain that at the time I didn't understand in order to get me to the place where he wanted. In the beginning of this century, um, I had another uh, horrible time in my life where, where some relationships went wrong, where I felt kind of let down and um, 
betrayed and uh, all sorts of things. It was, it was horrible. And it was one of the worst times of my life in ministry. In fact, the worst. And it was so painful. And I felt like giving up. And it was like, I don't understand what's going on here, God. And yeah, I, 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 was, I was at fault in, 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 in ways as, as well. That, that's always the case. But it was just so painful. And do you know, as I look back now, that was the time when God brought Andy uh, into my life. And, and the last years, because we love serving together, because our gifts are complimentary, and because he and Beth and the kids are my dear friends, it, it's, it, it's been the happiest years of my life and the happiest years serving Jesus. And not only Andy and Beth and the kids, but others who work with me now. You know, I've never, I've never been, we've always had good teams. I've never ha- been involved in a more wonderful team. We're family. And it's like, now I look back and it's like, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you were shifting things, even though it was hard. You didn't cause it to happen, but you worked through it. You were in there. When I couldn't see you, you were in there. And then I remember when we were doing Soul in the City and we were planning it, this big evangelistic thing in the summer in London. And um, we spent, you know, we, we were in real trouble beforehand. Uh, we didn't have enough money. We were asking young people instead of coming to a festival uh, to come to London to spend money to do 10 days of mission. And relationships were difficult with some leaders and, and there were all sorts of things. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, I don't know if we're going to survive this financially. How are we going to pull it off? And, and the one thing I thought in the lead up to the mission, I remember thinking, you know what? This would be the worst time for someone, another organization, to, say, to decide to start a youth event, um, a youth camp, because all the kids that come to our event... What, what, if they want that they'd rather go to a, a camp where they can have fun than come on a mission and I was like if that happened it would finish us who would want to come and then the summer before we did soul in the city I was in the bed and breakfast and um, I, I remember I was sitting on the bed at, at, at just before going into the showground uh, to, to do the day's Soul Survivor Festival, I was putting my socks on and I had my Bible next to me. I remember it as if it was yesterday. And suddenly, I wasn't even praying, I felt the Lord say to me, Mike, someone's going to come to you today and they're going to say to you that they're starting a youth festival next year. You are not to worry. Do not worry. I have it in hand. Um, I will not let it succeed. And you know that phrase, I will not let it succeed. That's just not a phrase I would ever have used because that's not how I think. You know, it would have been, I'm going to bless you anyway. You know, don't worry, it'll be okay. But, you know, it was, I would never think that God would want to not let something succeed. Well, anyway, I was taken aback and I thought, I think this is you, Lord. Well, let's see if it is. I did a seminar at the 9.30 slot And then at the end, as I was walking to the big top to start the main meeting, these three guys came and they were from three other youth organisations and they said, could we have a quick chat with you? I said, okay. And they said, we've decided as youth organisations, we're coming together 
and we're going to start a youth event. And um, we're going to call it Junction One. I shouldn't have said that, but I have. And, uh, and we're going to start it next summer. We've got a venue, we've got everything, and we're going to make the announcement in the next few days. And out of courtesy, we wanted to let you know first. And I said to them, thank you for telling me, guys. That's very gracious of you. Um, God bless you. You know, no worries at all. And as I walked away, I, I couldn't help it. I laughed. And I laughed not because of them, but because the Lord had told me that he was with me in that place when it all felt that everything was going wrong. And, you know, this isn't, a, you know, I think they meant well. I think it was, but, but in the January, they cancelled it because no one had booked in. And I'm not saying that in any way to gloat, but it was, it was God's faithfulness to me in the land of my suffering. And as I look back, I can see things that I couldn't see then. Trust him today. How do we grow in trust? Not by working trust up, not by working hope up, not by working faith up, but by looking to him. That's why what we've been doing is we've been, we've been constantly, constantly the last few months looking at Jesus. When we look at him, faith is the response. Don't look at your faith, look at him and faith will grow. Faith will grow. Trust him. He is worth it. He is wonderful. He makes you fruitful in the land of your suffering. And even if you can't see it this side of heaven, you'll see it when you get there.